This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. The headline in the New York Times, Why Mark Ruffalo and Wendell Pierce are fighting for a crumbling church, a story about West Park Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. It's a story written by a real estate reporter, a reporter that normally covers big money deals like this may be for that church, but it is also about a church, a church with very few members, but a lot of value in their land there in Upper Manhattan. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So why did the New York Times devote so much ink to the plight of this tiny Manhattan church? Well, you mentioned Mark Ruffalo, and to my absolute astonishment, this story does not contain either the word Hulk or Avengers. I mean, I could imagine a headline of Upper West Side Avengers come to the aid of suffering church or declining church. This this story to me, whether the people who wrote it and edited it or not, this story to me is a perfect example of what maybe 20, 25 years ago began to be called the Wall Street Journal Column 1 formula for writing a major news feature. Column 1 was a specific location in the old Wall Street Journal format, and they still use this. And the whole idea of these features could be summed up as one person put it, don't tell me a story about 12 people. Tell me a story about 12 people who stand for hundreds or thousands of people. In my own teaching, I called this symbolic detail writing. And in a way, this story is symbolic of much larger issues. And you can see that in some of the language that the, the New York Times throws at this story, but they see it, just like you said, primarily as a real estate story. And I'm saying that, of course, it's a real estate story, but it's also an important religion story when you consider the other subjects that are linked to it. Here's one of the summary paragraphs where you can sense the times trying to let readers know why this matters. What has ensued, it says, is a perplexing tug of war for the moral high ground set against the backdrop of a long-running conflict over who feels like they should have control over the city's future. And in this battle, it's primarily about New York City's urgent need for additional housing. That's what gets this covered by a writer who specializes in real estate. And there's nobody involved in this story, as far as I can tell, coming from the religion desk. So is this a religion story? Well, I, I'll be the first to admit that it's primarily a big bucks real estate story and an interesting battle of what happens when the very powerful artistic community of New York City 
gets involved in a political fight about a historic landmark, in this case, a church. Yet at the same time, what I want our listeners to think about right now is if they live in a city larger than 100,000 people, I want them to think about their downtown areas. And this is especially true if they live in a city with more than a million people. And I want them to think about the churches that are located in downtown of their city. And are those churches flourishing? Are those churches declining? How much is the land under them worth? And finally, what are the brand names on the church signs on the front of those very strategically located and thus valuable buildings in those downtown areas? Because while, yes, this is an oh-so-typical New York story and not every fading, crumbling church in America has a member of the Marvel comic universe living in an apartment nearby who frequents certain types of events at that church. We can talk more about that. The Hulk doesn't live within a block of these other churches. But my point is to say the symbolism here is what's happening to the finances and the demographics of the dying mainline churches in America. And to some degree, yes, I would admit strategically located Roman Catholic and even Orthodox churches. So if there's religion in this story, and I would argue that there is, does it show up in this piece? And why couldn't they at least include a few paragraphs about that? Is it in here, Terry, how large the congregation or yeah. congregations, it sounds like it has more than one congregation. There's a lot of space devoted to other events, as you mentioned, that take place here. Do we have any, that would seem to be a basic, if there are 20 members of this church left over, yeah. or if there are 500. You need to go six paragraphs into the story to catch a fleeting reference. And this is something I was discussing with, a, frankly, an expert on religion in New York City just a day or so ago when I was working on my column for this week, which is about how much New York City has changed in the decades since the late Tim Keller came to central New York with the idea of starting a Presbyterian church in America mission. So you, you go down six paragraphs and you finally found out, I'll just read it, Roger Leaf, the chairman of the West Park Administrative Commission, which was created by the Presbytery of New York in 2020 to help the church manage the space and find a buyer, says the congregation of about a dozen people wants to stop its financial bleeding and use proceeds from the real estate deal for better causes including serving needy people across the city. When I hit the reference to about a dozen people, I cracked up laughing because I was thinking of something that happened to me years ago in a newsroom when I turned in a story about a demonstration. And this was a demonstration that we thought would be 
an important thing, and it ended up to involve a very small number of people. But they still wanted a story about it, though, because it was a politically correct and hot-button issue. I forget what it was, probably environmentalism, knowing Colorado in the 80s. And anyway, I had a reference in there that the march involved about 18 people. And the editor immediately drew a big circle around that on a piece of the story. He had flitted it and said, look, why didn't you just count them? You know, we don't need about 18 people. If it's 18 people, it's 18 people. And as they marched by, you go one, two, three, four. You count the people. I laughed because he had, a, of course, a perfectly valid point. Do you think we know the number of people in this congregation if it's about a dozen? I mean, probably we could get a number there. The other thing that immediately jumped to my mind is, and we, we kind of have hints later, the people who wrote this also assumed that everyone would know what church the Presbytery of New York is. And nowhere in this story does it tell us what denomination this actually is. How do you feel? Let's let you speak out as an expert on Lutheranism in the news. How do you feel in your particular Lutheran body when there's a wild controversial event and it just simply says leaders of a major Lutheran church or major Lutheran leaders said? Well, in our case, it's potentially, and I think it's the same case among American Presbyterians, it's potentially, in my mind, slanderous to associate my, yeah. my church body with the larger one. Well, it's larger right now. Who knows what that will be in a decade or two? We won't look into the future. But yes, there are multiple Lutheran bodies, and you can't tell the players without a program. And to some degree, if you want to know what's going on in New York City, and it involves a Presbyterian church, I'm thinking about Tim Keller here, who led Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Do you think the odds are pretty good that West Park Presbyterian Church is the same brand of Presbyterian as Redeemer, the rapidly growing, massively influential Redeemer Presbyterian Church? The answer to that is no. We find out later that this church has been quite famous for some time with certain people in the community. And that leads to another paragraph way down in the story. All sides agree about the storied history of the church and its architectural significance. The Landmarks Commission praised, quote, the extraordinary deep color of its red sandstone cladding, unquote, and its monumental and distinguished presence, which it said made it one of the Upper West Side's most important buildings. Finally, we get a sense West Park became known in the 1970s and 1980s as an early ally of the anti-war movement and LGBTQ people. Markleaf said. I would predict that in the 70s it wasn't LGBTQ people. That basically means the gay rights movement. And this church was on board early, early. And it's possible that it was famous even before Presbyterians merged between the North and South to form what is now the Presbyterian Church, parentheses USA, which is one of the major and most rapidly shrinking bodies in liberal mainland Protestantism. It would only take a sentence to mention that this is a part of the PCUSA, and the PCUSA is a church that has lost, what, 20, 30, 40% of its members. 
in the last couple of years. So the story about this church is not all that untypical of some issues facing other Presbyterians of this brand in other parts of the country. There was something else that I thought an angle, obviously we have a real estate journalist writing about this, so my expectations were low, but it would have been nice to get at least a byline from a religion reporter. They can still afford that at the New York Times. Oh, they can. Uh, that would say something about what I'll just kind of generally call the secularization of big cities, where these churches are there, they're largely museums, or in this case, a venue for small arts performances. Yeah. We have them in this area, in St. Louis. I attended a, a series of 10-minute plays written by a friend, and it was done in a church. And that's pretty much what they're doing there at that church. And it sits right on some of the most expensive real estate in the St. Louis area. So that, to me, is a fascinating angle. Churches sitting on very expensive real estate in urban centers that are not being used as churches anymore or much or much used very often or in a big way as churches and you know once again this is not a new story when i arrived at the rocky mountain news in 1983 in denver i walked out the front door and immediately walked all over downtown denver looking for churches. I wanted to know who was in downtown and kind of what the condition of those churches were. And they were already in trouble in the early 1980s. They were having trouble keeping their doors open. The congregations were heavily aged. They didn't have children. They didn't have young people. And they were already evolving into kind of rent-a-space centers for social ministry and activism. That's what they already were in 1983. Okay, do the math on that. If it's 2023, how long ago was 1983? So if that was true then, it's true now. I did that, frankly. I canvassed my downtown because when I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the most interesting stories is that right in downtown Charlotte was the first United Methodist Church of Charlotte, and it was growing. It had a pastor who had come in, was reactivating that church's ministries and a lot of social issues and stuff, but also, quite frankly, in evangelism. He was holding evangelism meetings. He was hilariously funny, deeply Southern. In other words, he fit Charlotte, North Carolina, and his church was growing. They were making converts, and it stood out in 1980 when I wrote that story. It stood out, maybe 81. Anyway, it stood out as a, as a kind of man-bites-dog story in the sense that it was a mainline church in the middle of downtown that was adding members, young members, singles, young couples, and it stood out for that reason. So yes, this story in the New York Times could have used one or two stories that noted the figures from an organization called A Journey Through NYC Religions, which make it into my, 
in a column this week about how New York City used to be the primary thing people talked about as secular city, and now people are beginning to talk about it as a prime example of a post-secular city, which is not to say that it's a Christian city, but to say that it's a multicultural, multi-religious boiling pot of religion, which, by the way, includes growing numbers of evangelical and Pentecostal churches. A Journey Through New York City Religions does a face-to-face -face canvas with evangelical leaders, and they found that in 2000, soon after the arrival of Tim Keller, to open the very risky business of starting Redeemer Presbyterian Church in the heart of Manhattan, there were 120 evangelical churches in the center city of New York from just above Central Park to Wall Street and Lower Manhattan. That was up to 197 in 209, 251 in 214, 219, it was up to 308 evangelical churches in center Manhattan. And they estimate that by the end of next year, that number will hit about 370. Now, that would have been an interesting note. Let's just put it this way. If Redeemer Presbyterian was given a chance to either rent or maybe even find a way somehow to buy this particular church, do you think that pretty soon it would have more than 12 people in it? Terry, what you cited for me, those stories about Upper Manhattan and the growth of evangelical churches there were completely contrary to my expectations. That, again, mm -hmm. seems to me to be a great story about, on the one hand, as we discussed before, we've got churches that are largely community centers, historic churches, and then we have this, at least in New York, growth of new evangelical churches in the city. Yeah, it's an interesting story. The man who leads that website, and he's been there for decades and was a, an associate of Tim Keller, is a man named Tony Carnes. And Tony told me kind of a story that he didn't want to get involved in names. He said, but he was having a conversation not that long ago with a journalist from one of the major networks. Let's just call it that, one of the major news networks. And this guy was saying, well, what are you talking about? New York is a very secular city. It, there's no religion in New York. There's no religions of, religion of any significance. And Tony asked him, tell me where you live. The man gave him an address in Brooklyn. And Tony said, you do realize that one block from your apartment is a charismatic Pentecostal church, mainly Latino, that, that averages 6,000 in worship on a typical weekend? And the man laughed and said, that's impossible, or I'd know about it. And Tony said his response was, not if you don't see it. And there it is. They don't get it. I mean, to some degree, they can't see what's happening in New York around them, in part because the major media, academic, and to some degree high finance structures of New York remain highly secular. And that's what people mean when they call New York a post secular city. It's not a religious city, but it's not a secular city. It's a mix with tensions between these two realities. 
And part of the realities is as people pour into New York City from the global south, immigration has always been a huge part of New York's story. These people are coming from parts of the world where religion is not an irrelevant factor in daily life. When you're coming from Asia and Africa and the Middle East, you're, you're going to laugh in people's face if they tell you religion that shouldn't have anything to do with how they raise their children or anything to do with, with how they live their daily lives. So that's a part of what's happening in New York. And like I said, one or two sentences could have noted kind of that irony in the context of this declining church, which is going to get huge play in the New York Times. Let me give you another example of a figure that jumped out for me. Once again, they're talking about if the application to sell is finally approved, if it makes it past the the entertainment industry heavyweights who are fighting to save the church as a, frankly, as a local theater and activism center, not as a going concern. It mentions that the church, they would sell it for about $30 million, demolish the building and build luxury apartments there. Then the next quote from one of the people involved, that would fund food pantries, soup kitchens, warming centers, early childhood education centers, homeless shelters, and so forth, he said. Alchemy, the name of the partner, would also pay the church $8 million to set up a new space in the building. Now, I assume, although it's not told, and we should be told, that's a new worship space in the building. So we're talking about $8 million to build a smaller religious sanctuary inside this luxury apartment and condo development, $8 million for a church that has 12 members? Does that strike anyone else as an intriguing ratio of financial resources to people? I mean, once again, imagine if Redeemer Presbyterian Church was handed $8 million to help develop a new church on the upper west side of Manhattan. What do you think Redeemer Presbyterian could do with 8 million bucks, whether it's rental, partial ownership, or something of another facility? And how many people do you think would be in that sanctuary within a year? That struck me as another, I mean, as a reporter, my brain just spins when I read that sentence. They would pay the church $8 million to set up a new space in the building for about, we can't count them, about 12 people? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.